On this episode, we learn company Christmas parties come back to haunt you. Spock pulls out the Swiss Army knife of writing. Mental health care isn't any better in the future. And we learn sometimes Star Wars. Oh, oh, you almost did that. The carnal sin of Star Trek. <laughs> You know what? We're just going to pick it up right from there. We learned sometimes Star Trek villains aren't evil. They are just jerks. I'm Captain Awesome. I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take your station and find some to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on this bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. This week we're going to be discussing Dagger of the Mind, the ninth episode of the first season. Uh, first aired November 3rd, 1966. So just one quick note, this is going to be the final episode that's going to be produced before the um, actual premiere of the very first episode on television. So this is the last episode that they get to do all the stuff before the public actually sees it. Um, which I thought was just an interesting thing. It is a really cool thing. Um, And it also is the final episode where we see they're really trying to screw with things to try to, you know, figure out the look and feel that they're going for. Yes. A lot of cases, the soundscape. (laughs) So it's a little weird. It's not as weird as the last one, but it's a little weird. (laughs) So this is written by uh, S bar David, um, which was the uh, pen name for Shimon Winselberg. Um, okay. He was a journey TV writer. Okay. Can I just say that is like the best pen name S R <laughs> David. And I'm, it's a great name. Like his real name was great too. Shimon Winselberg. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I know nobody can say it, but it's amazing. Anyway, he was actually uh, well known for um, being able to write accurately about uh, the lives of Orthodox Jews for TV in in the fifties. He had kind of a reputation. Um, the name like Shimon Winselberg, you think? <laughs> uh, he started writing short stories for Harper's and New Yorker in the forties and fifties. Um, he wrote seven episodes of Lost in Space, which I thought was interesting. And this is what I really like. He helped write all 16 episodes of a cartoon in 1974 by Hanna-Barbera called Devlin. I do not remember ever seeing this cartoon. It was a cartoon in which three teenage circus performers traveled the country and solved crimes. Uh, Any glimmer of recognition at all? Because I, no. I, it seems like it would have been right. I would have been about seven years old at that time. But oh, okay. I just I looked was, it up. There weren't all three television networks, so that's probably why it probably got oh, access. Probably does that. This is it's totally a knockoff of Scooby Doo. Yes, which is weird because um, it appears to be by the same studio. Oh, they they did the same thing. Speed buggy. They, they just kept on, you know, jabber jaw. The only on, uh, real difference is, is that it appears that it also had a a little bit of uh, evil Knievel in there. Yes. Yes. The, uh, the main character, pictures. which was voiced by Mickey Dolan's was inspired by evil Knievel. Oh, Mickey Dolan's. Hmm. Anyway. So I later. was a pretty big fan of evil Knievel back then. So I'm really kind of surprised. I do not remember this cartoon at all. Maybe it was Devlin Knevlin. <laughs> anyway. um, the, uh, the other thing about uh, um, bar David is that this is the second episode um or I'm sorry, this is the second Star Trek writer that we've run into that also wrote for the Serbian version of Dynasty, Dynastesia. 
Uh, Stephen Candell, the writer for Mud's Women, he also wrote for this series. All right. I'm starting to think that we're going to have to have a uh, a cameo in one of the uh, newer Star Trek shows where just somebody is watching the Serbian version of Dynasty on TV. <laughs> historical records or whatever. I, I'm really going to try to find this on streaming. I just, I have to see one episode. I know, right? Just to find out what's going on. <laughs> um, and then the director of this was the same director we had last week, which was uh, Vincent McAvity. McAvity, pardon me. Uh, he directed Mary, which we did last week. And I mentioned that he directed a lot of television stuff, Diagnosis Murder, Murder She Wrote, 40 episodes of Simon and Simon, but I'm not sure exactly how I missed this. This guy directed almost every Disney movie in the seventies that my grade school showed for holidays. Um, Treasure Matakumbe, if my sister's listening, that was such a great movie. Wow. That, that was one of the very first movies that even at the age I was, it was like, no, that was bad. <laughs> uh, World's Strongest Man, uh, Super Dad, Guess the Pigskin Mule. Never heard of it. Uh, Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo, my personal favorite Herbie movie. All right, uh, fair. The <laughs> second apple dumpling gang, which should not have happened. <laughs> and the very first movie I watched when I got Disney plus the million dollar duck. Okay. I'm shocked and amazed that that is the first thing you watched on Disney plus and that Disney plus actually has it. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first thing I tested. Uh, the cat from outer space was a close second, but yeah. Oh, that, <laughs> okay. I did like some cat from outer space. That was some good stuff. <laughs> Um, so a few fun things about this, uh, episode, the, the title itself, uh, dagger of the mind is actually a line from Macbeth. Uh, it's in the, in uh, Macbeth's, uh, so blah, blah, blah. It's in Macbeth's soliloquy in act two, scene one, um, kind of a weird thing during the filming of this, uh, Shatner was actually pulled away from the soundstage to a recording studio where in get ready for it, Mr. Frakes in two takes, (laughs) He recorded the famous where no man has gone before monologue from the opening scene. Uh, It had been written several different times by several different writers. Uh, He actually read the first take flawlessly and they were like, we need more reverb. So they made him do it again. (laughs) So it's got some echo and reverb, which you can hear uh, in the, uh, the early episodes, which I really don't think is actually good. No, the fact that I'm just learning that they did that on purpose, because I remember thinking you did all of this and you did that as you're recording, (laughs) right? It's terrible, (laughs) but whatever. I mean, somebody thought that sounds spacey if it's got an echo. (laughs) Quick, quick, quick. Try it in the bathroom stall. It'll sound more spacey. Yeah, right. I just like the sounds in here. (laughs) So the basic storyline here depending on where you look is either <laughs> in this episode, the enterprise visits a rehab facility for the criminally insane where the chief doctor has been using a device, which destroys the human mind or my personal favorite Kirk and psychiatrist, Helen Knoll are trapped in a maximum security penal colony that experiments with mind control and Spock must use the Vulcan mind meld to find a way to save them. That, yeah. The second one is really, yeah, I see right? your point. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot going on in this episode and it's all garbage, but <laughs> That's a pretty good uh, explanation there. Um, I'm not sure what start date this happens on actually. Yeah. I didn't hear a start date on this. They, they immediately start in the transporter room. Uh, the transporter room. San Scotty. Yes. No, it's really sad. 
Scotty was supposed to be in this episode. The writers liked him. They wrote him into the episode and James Doohan was ready to do it. But they were like, yeah, it's an expensive episode. Let's cut some costs. $890. That's how much he got paid for that. And they were like, yeah, we'll cut it. And we're going to put somebody else in his place. Um, incidentally, in today's money, that's $8,400. Still, <laughs> not a king's ransom to bring that guy in. Yeah, that's, that was the amount of money you're saving on production? Wow. Right. So standing in for Scotty is going to be uh, Lieutenant Berkeley, uh, who we've seen before on The Man Trap, though he was uncredited. Um, and he's played by Anthony Larry Paul. Um, and again, he, who was just, he's basically there cause he costs less than Jimmy Doohan. He'll also be, he'll trek again, um, as a background player in uh, balance of terror. Nice. Somebody has got to keep the balance. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. So, we checked your terror. It's all out of balance, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so the scene starts off with a transport engineer and, what is clearly a giant water filter, but is supposed to be a package that they're sending somewhere that they're putting onto the transporter pad. I, the only reason I point this out is because it had a big giant shipping label on it. That was <laughs> in this very carefully written script that says, uh, attention, Dr. Tristan Adams. Now, what I love about this though, is it says attention, a T T colon. So there's no M in attention, which kind of weird, but whatever, you know, and then, it's a big, long space, Tristan Adams. And then somebody has taken a DR for doctor, <laughs> put it on a separate piece of paper and pasted it in here. It looks like somebody was like, uh, attention, Mr. Tristan Adams. They're like, oh, no, no, no. He's a doctor. It's like, <laughs> oh, dude, you don't you don't refer to him as Mr. He's going to get so pissed. <laughs> you have a post-it? We can fix this really quick. It was so weird. Uh, and also, incidentally, this package is a, a drum of extra sensory drugs for <laughs> sensory drugs, which I looked up on the internet. And the closest thing I could find was something for foot pain. So it looks like Adams was going with this controversial thesis that people do bad things because their feet hurt. I mean, that's fair. When my feet hurt, I do some pretty terrible things like sit down a lot, <laughs> soak my feet. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the water filters. So, they, they attempt to beam these things down and the transporter's like, try again, try again. And Kirk walks in and he looks around. And he's like, ha ha ha, you dumb engineers. And he reaches <laughs> over and says, hey, you know, they've got a force field, right? <laughs> yeah. you, get, you get the feeling that this was this dude's first day on, on duty and they're just like, oh, oh, put him in there when we get to Tantalus. It's yeah, right. Hilarious. <laughs> Guy's like, oh yeah, I forgot. Um, <laughs> I really like that when it doesn't work the first time, he hits a few buttons and then jams the levers even harder. <laughs> right, because that's what you do. I mean, we are in the day and age of the TV won't tune, so you just smack it. <laughs> um, now, this is, in, this is, however, the first time that we've mentioned that transporters don't work through shields, uh, which I, I think is a really important point to, to bring up because – it does, you know, come up, I don't know, once or twice throughout Star Trek's history. <laughs> this is the other reason that Dune didn't want to do the episode. Wait, the script has Kirk come in and correct Scotty about how to beam things that, you know what? <laughs> I'm taking the week off. Have a nice day. I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
they uh, they they ship all this to the Department of Penology. <laughs> all right, I it's I looked like at that. And I was like, here's yet another one of the stupid words they made up for this show. And I looked it up, and I'm the idiot. <laughs> Penology <laughs> is in fact the study of prison and punishments. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> But yeah, yeah, you giggled when you looked it up, though. Didn't you? Of course I did. <laughs> yeah, and then they call down and they're like, "Hey, um, this is the Enterprise. We totally have a package for you." And they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll drop the shields. Sure, why not?" Because <laughs> movie security is always the best, <laughs> right? Now, on the vein of the of it maybe being this guy's first day at the job, Kirk turns around and is just like a total jerk bag to this guy. He's like, "Hey, hey, you know, maybe you ought to." I don't know, read a book or something. <laughs> the guy's like, yes, sir. Okay. Like, come on. I mean, don't but get me wrong. It is he a does very the charging captain thing. He does the charming captain thing before he leaves. I was like, but you can wait until you put away that box, right? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> hey, you know. Okay, captain. I, I You still got a job to do. Make sure you do that on your time. <laughs> now, one of the things that's kind of interesting in this is Kurt goes out of the room and we get our, our sneaky music starts up <laughs> the transport engineer who's left in there by himself. Who's I guess the junior guy. Cause he doesn't have a real uniform. He's just got like the garbage bag uniform. Yeah. Um, he turns around and starts messing with the wall and out pops a real creepy looking guy from the box that just arrived. <laughs> and he comes up and hits the guy. Now it, it's kind of interesting. This set was already set up with blank wall behind the transport engineers and the transporter pad is really what you're looking at. But what they did is they went down to the engineering set and they stole a wall (laughs) stuck it on there specifically so that they had a MacGuffin for this guy to turn around and mess with so that he could be knocked out for this scene, (laughs) (laughs) which I really like because he has his clipboard. He's writing things down, but the panel has like, no letters or numbers or anything. It just has some lights flashing on it. It's right. Like, like, what is he doing? What are also, you I, I did like that. You could very clearly see that somebody behind it was sliding a panel back and forth because <laughs> the, the colors on it kept changing, but it was like a picture was clearly sliding back and forth. Um, but Hey, what are you going to do? See, the thing is, he wasn't actually doing anything that had to do with his job. He had to do one of those things of like logging what he did with his job. This guy got knocked out because he was filling out this whole why people transport survey that his boss told him he had to right. fill out. Look, if you just let me finish this later on my own time, this wouldn't have happened. I do love that the psychologist is like, judo chop. <laughs> <laughs> and he's immediately knocked out. It's so good. Why does everybody in the future know how to do a judo chop? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the the creepy guy is dr simon van gilder who is played by morgan woodward uh he's a famous western actor uh he's been in like everything including one of my personal favorites cool hand luke because this guy played the sadist boss godfrey the guy who kept pulling out his gun and pointing it at everybody and eventually <laughs> shooting at everybody <laughs> Now, he actually credited being on Star Trek with helping to get his uh, career out of being typecast, which I thought was kind of weird considering when you look up his his history, he did a lot of Westerns after Star Trek. Yes, <laughs> he is. Well, yeah, he did 55 episodes of Dallas as Punk Anderson. So, I mean, he, mm-hmm. you know, 
he made a pretty good living as a cowboy. Though I did notice that he was in some of the, uh, he was like in a Logan's episode, Logan's Run television episode. Yeah, um, like anybody remembers the Logan's Run TV show. Come on. <laughs> Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> it's fuzzy, but it's there. Oh, it's bad. <laughs> I, I've seen it once. Uh, I, I was like, wow, I loved Logan's Run. And I saw the Isada and syndication was like, I'm going to check this out. I got like halfway through an episode and I'm like, oh God, no, it's not happening. <laughs> it's one of those things of when you shoot, an, when you shoot a TV show on 500 bucks an episode. Yeah. It's, it's the right. cracks are bare to show or, you know, gonna oh, show. you know, that sales pitch was like, no, no, no. Everybody's just wearing like drapes. It's super <laughs> cheap. And the room we can use an old mall. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And it shows. Anyway. <laughs> um, now sadly, uh, Woodward did pass away um, in 2019 at 93, but man, this guy had a life. Uh, he was an aviator and served in both World War II and in Korea. Um, he actually built and restored antique planes later in his life and was considered something of an expert on early airplane, uh, pardon me, early aircraft designs. Wow. Um, he, when he was in college, he sang in a jazz band and at a barbershop quartet. He DJed his own radio show and eventually graduated University of Texas with a degree in corporate finance. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan, Morgan didn't st- sit still for long. He really, really uh, got a lot out of life. Um, but he claims that of all of the acting jobs he did, this, this particular episode was probably the most physically demanding. And uh, uh, there are some accounts that say he, uh, he took days to rest after doing this. Some people said it two days. Some people say four, but I mean, he, he was wiped out after uh, doing the Van Gelder bit. I mean, we do see that he put everything into this. I, I, you know what, as weird as the concept of this show is, and as weird as a lot of the acting was in this episode, Woodward did an amazing job of just throwing everything in it. He was clearly there to try to make this work no matter what. And he did a great job. I mean, it's not his fault. It was real weird, but he did a great job. Now, a conversation I had with a a fellow Trekker, and again, this was just something I, um, somebody told me they knew a little bit more about uh, Woodward. And they said one of the things about Woodward was uh, the director, Vincent uh, McKevity, really, really liked Woodward, really liked working with him and said, basically, Woodward could do anything. So if he ever saw anything that was difficult in a, any sort of script at all, he would call and see if Morgan Woodward was available because he pretty much felt that this guy could pull it off. Um, I mean, that, that seems like a, a go-to guy. I mean, look at all the stuff he did as hobbies, all the stuff he did professionally. <laughs> he's, a, he's literally a jack of all trades. Yeah. A, this is a guy you go to. Huh. Um, yeah. Now, as far as the Van Gilder thing, uh-huh just a little weird trivia bit. So in the ep- deep space nine episode of a uh, simple investigation, there's a cargo module in one of the uh, packing bays that is marked as being from the Tantalus colony from Van Gilder to the central bureau of rehabilitation in Stockholm. That's really good. Yeah. I like it. I, you know what? Again, my, my hat goes off to the DS9 folks because they had so many Easter eggs that I, admittedly, when I watched it the first time, I never noticed. Oh, me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. 
And, and it was one of my favorite shows, but the more I th- doing rewatch, yes, I agree. Absolutely. So after the credits, we're going to head to the bridge. Uh, now we're looking through the view screen and trying to see that we're approaching the Tantalus colony. And I, I gotta say they did it again. They wanted to show that this was a view screen. And so they put on the filter that gives you all the little cigarette burns and, <laughs> and all the hairs and stuff, but they put it on the entire screen again. So now it looks like the, the front of the enterprise bridge is just filthy. <laughs> it's, it's so gross. You need to have a little Windex bottle down there by the side, a little rag sitting there. Right? <laughs> um, so Jim and Bones are sitting there talking about the fact that they're approaching a prison colony. And Bone, or and Jim's like, well, you know, it's not that bad. I heard that all these colonies are now really nice places. Bones <laughs> is like, uh, it's a prison colony. It's still that bad. <laughs> yeah, I don't care how good you heard. Spock's looking over at Kirk is like, Dude, my brother's in jail, okay? Don't tell right. me how wonderful these places are. Well, I don't know. Does he actually know that at this point? Uh, yes, because Strange New Worlds. Oh, that's right. They did uh, put that back together. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they get a phone call from the planet, and they're like, hey, guys, um, <laughs> we lost a guy, and you were the last ones here, so we're pretty sure you have an inmate on your yeah. Really sorry. Most of us down here are lobotomized. So sometimes we make mistakes. <laughs> Dude, it was, seriously, it was so we- weird and mellow and formal. Was, uh, yes, uh, we've noticed that there's an inmate missing. Uh, since you were the last ones here, we think you should probably check your ship. <laughs> He's either on Kirk's face or on your ship. You, you couldn't have said something a little sooner here, boys. <laughs> um, and, you know, clearly the Enterprise doesn't know because they haven't invented scanners yet. I'm not really sure what that's about. Well, internal scanners right now, we're still going through HR review because there's this whole line you have to draw on when exactly is internal scanning going into invasion of privacy. Oh, you mean Kirk wanting to install internal scanners in everybody's <laughs> folder? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> well, Van Gelder's too smart for him because the very first thing he does is get out of his blue jumpsuit and into a red one, which totally makes him just disappear into the scenery. It's true. Everybody just sees him walking down the hall. And they're like, I don't know that guy, but he's wearing a red jumpsuit. <laughs> Who's the dude with bedhead must be Delta shift. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, I, I like the two guys that are standing behind Jim on the, on the bridge. Oh God, that was <laughs> just kind of leaning against the railing. Like, Hey, what's going on? Oh, this sounds like it's really, really weird. Oh, good thing we're in security. Bob, anyway, Bob, <laughs> look interested. Look interested in what Kirk's doing. Bob, Seriously, if if you put a cigarette in one of those guys' hands, it would have looked totally natural. <laughs> I just like hey, I'm not on duty. I just like hanging out of the bridge. You know what I mean? <laughs> what are you guys doing? Uh, so then a guy. So we go back to the lower decks and we see um, this dude in a command shirt, which I'm pretty sure he was in a red shirt last week. Uh, the guy with the kind of male pattern boldness thing going on. Um, oh, you got to be more specific on these episodes. <laughs> I'm going to have to take a look at that because I'm pretty sure he was a, he was in a red shirt last week. I mean, you got to um, be more specific with guy switches back and forth between gold and red and guy has male pattern baldness that is wildly <laughs> on display. <laughs> so he spots I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Male pattern baldness is a thing that happens. Nobody should feel... <laughs> Any, any way weird about that. But usually it gets covered up on TV. Just saying. I wouldn't know anything about that. 
<laughs> now here's this is actually one of my favorite parts here. Van Gelder is hiding around a corner and the security guys go out and split up and the security guy that walks by Van Gelder, it is hilarious because he just has such a swagger about him. <laughs> he is so cool. He's good. Like, man, I'm security on the enterprise. I am the coolest dude. I mean, if my old classmates could see, Oh my God, I'm being strangled on my face. Just being taken out of my head. <laughs> I mean, if you're a security guy on the Enterprise, you got to expect you're going to be strangled and have your phaser stolen at some point. Oh, man. You just kind of hope it's not Spock who does it. <laughs> the, the guy on the radio is just like, oh, yeah, um, he's also real violent. So, <laughs> you know, there's that. <laughs> Smart, too. So um, let us know how that all shakes out, okay? And then a security guy pops onto the bridge and it's like the doors open real quietly when nobody's looking and he walks in and he stands there and Kirk looks around like, Oh my God, what was that? <laughs> the whole bridge looks over like who just came on, who just got on the bridge. Oh my God. Like, oh, it's Jensen. Okay. Whatever. You know, and just, then it turns out he's also real bad at his job because he's immediately choked out. <laughs> Oh. Or not choked out. He gets another judo. Yeah, check. this guy. This guy takes Richard to a whole new <laughs> He should have just. He should have just grenade dropped when he. You know when he stepped on the bridge, right? <laughs> oh my god, it's so bad. <laughs> and of course, this all happens right as Spock is once again being like, you know, if you were all Vulcans and none of this would bother you, because, you know, <laughs> Vulcans are perfect and we don't feel anything. You know, without emotions, there's no motive for violence. Oh my God, there's violence. (laughs) (laughs) I love the edit because it's immediately without emotion. There's no motive for violence. And they just cut to the guy just (laughs) just judo chopping the guy's neck. Right. (laughs) Now, the great thing is the doors open. Everybody on the bridge looks at the elevator except... The security guy who's still oh, yeah. looking forward with his back to the elevator. Well, that you know what that means. His training was perfect. <laughs> That's a military man right there. He did exactly <laughs> what he was told and he did not deviate. So in addition to having no seatbelts on the bridge, we also have no door locks on the bridge because it oh, seems like you not. should be able to stop a crazy guy from coming onto the bridge of all places. But no, it's going to be at least a century before we get a lock on the bridge. <laughs> So as I'm counting it right now, we have crazy guy two, enterprise security zero. Yep. Yeah. There's some training that Uh, needs to be done. Because he's knocked out two security guys and a transporter chief. Yep. Yeah. I think think we really need some, right? It's that whole thing of Jim Kirk not having an actual security chief for a long time. Yeah. He really needed somebody to be keeping track of this stuff. He didn't like anybody who might be tougher than him. He just really had (laughs) it. Well, that's going to be a problem because right now, super tough guy, Dr. Van Gelder goes, where's the captain? And I mean, he's clearly looking at Kirk when he says it. Where's the captain? You're you're the captain, right? (laughs) Which I got to give Kirk credit. My first first reaction would have been lunch. (laughs) I don't know. Mine would have been like that guy in blue over there. You know, the Vulcan who's like four times as strong as you, that guy's the captain. <laughs> he says his name. Nobody has any idea who he is, which you'd think would be something that would have come up when they were talking about going to the prison. 
um, he's like, Hey, I'm Van Gelder. I can't go back. And they're like, okay, I need asylum. They're like, okay. And then he points the gun at the wall and they're like, get him. <laughs> I really like when he's angling around and Kirk moves to the front of the helm panel. And, and the guy who's in the helm seat has Van Gelder with a gun to his back. And the look on his face is kind of like, you know, like, um, I should be running, right? Should I, should I be running? Right. Should I be sitting? Okay. Fuck is standing. Do it. Should I stay? Good I, or a bad place for me to shot. <laughs> Oh my goodness. The one shift I trade Sulu for. The one freaking shift. <laughs> Sulu and his stupid gym. This is not worth 890 bucks. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, they're, all, this, this action sequence is so slow and clunky too. Like nobody's got any sense of urgency. It's just like, Hey, you wait right there. I'm the captain. Oh, you're the captain. I've got a gun now. Everybody get him. <laughs> Look over there. Right. It's like a high school play. <laughs> now you have taken my gun. I have been accosted. Oh, I am Spock. so angry at you. <laughs> so we switch back to sick bay. Now that we're in sick bay, we've got this guy strapped to a bed and bones is like, Oh, that's weird. He's got no problems at all. Jim, he's really fine. Except for, you know, he's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim Kirk in his best bureaucratic voice says, not our problem. Right. Yeah, we'll just take him back to prison. He's not our problem. No, just no, just three episodes, two or three episodes again. You were chasing a ship that was doing nothing wrong into an asteroid field, causing it to destroy itself. And that you should have done. This guy, not our problem. Jim well, seems really, really pretty selective on exactly what his problem is. <laughs> this guy is not pimping in any way. <laughs> That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> Were there chicks? There weren't chicks? Right. Yeah, send it back. So uh, this is where we come back to th this guy throws everything into his acting. Oh, So yeah. Woodward is on the bed and he looks like he's going to pop. Like he is just, his face is just rigid. His body is rigid. He looks like he's going to explode. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, it, it, it looks like they're having to change this guy's diapers every time they ask him a question. Seriously. I mean, um, now he's, as he's sitting there, he's trying desperately to talk and it clearly hurts, but he's like, I work there. I'm a doctor. <laughs> and everybody's like, uh-huh. Sure you are. Great. We believe you. <laughs> hey, no, we believe you. You seem right? like a great guy. It's crazy. But then we jump back to the bridge and Kirk is like, wait, he is a doctor. <laughs> All the people on the, on the planet are like, Hey, yeah, man. Um, we probably should have mentioned it earlier. The guy who escaped is a doctor, not a patient. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. And I'm thinking Kirk's is like, yeah, that was on his LinkedIn account. So you, they always add extra qualifications on, onto your LinkedIn. So <laughs> I, I'm not buying it. Yeah. I, uh, so Adam's, has a story about how there was an Adams is the doctor who's on the planet and he's telling them over the radio, listen, 
there's just an experiment. It went bad. He, he was like experimenting on himself and that's why he's crazy. And man, we're real sad about that. <laughs> Bomber. <laughs> but then Leonard McCoy comes in and says he's full of it. Right. He comes in and he's just like, put down that phone. He's lying. <laughs> And, I don't and, even know why, but I know it's not true. <laughs> I just don't like the guy, Jim. I just don't like him. Right? It's, it's so weird. Yeah. Um, so Spock is like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you who really runs Bartertown. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody needs to just shut up. We're sending that dude back. That's it. And. Kirk is looking at him like, you know, this is my decision, right? <laughs> but Spock is totally like, he puts his foot down. He's like, you know what we have to do is send him back. And he tells him, it's like, maybe you should actually just get on the horn and ask Van or ask Adams if they want him back because you guys are arguing about this. You haven't even talked to Adams about it yet. Right. So right there, Spock's telling Jim, do your job. Yeah. And well, Jim never really likes that. Spock often has to tell Jim to do his job. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a thing. Uh, I don't know. Um, so it, Bones brings up some statute that says that he's got to log everything that happens here and that Kirk needs to write stuff down too. And Kirk's like, oh, I have to write stuff down. So, oh, man. And he gets all smug. Twice in the last three minutes. Somebody's told Jim, do your job. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Kirk is like, well, if, if I was going to have to write down this stuff, then maybe we could just investigate anyway. And Doc's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we do that? <laughs> anyway, let's go ahead and transport down and not take anybody to defend ourselves with. Cause you know, nothing about this is in any way hinky. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and the music guys are all like, do, 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 do. This is all fine. Nothing weird. And Kirk gets a real smug look on his face. Like bet so, you didn't see that coming. Th yeah. This is the classic thing of, of Kirk calls Adams. And first of all, Kirk thinks he's going to get to meet Adams and Kirk has gone on and on about just what an incredible guy Adams is. So he's like, okay, we have to come back by strict definition, giving McCoy the side eye. Um, I have to come down and investigate. And then pissed off that McCoy has told him to do his job. He says, maybe you can find me some sort of expert in this sort of thing to be down <laughs> with me. And yeah, so the, thinks, the, the amount of really hate that was in that statement. Oh my God. <laughs> And he sits down thinking, I really showed him. Now, in the scene, though, as soon as he says that, McCoy goes, he thinks for about five seconds, goes, yeah, I got somebody. And he walks out with a big grin on his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so this yeah. is one of those classic things of both guys think, yeah, I really got it over on that guy. Now, as much as these guys are being smug, I think the writers were being smug too, because they clearly bet each other a bunch of money that they can get Shatner to say penology on camera. <laughs> Where can I get an expert in penology? <laughs> so good. As soon as he did that somewhere, somewhere in the set, 20 books changed hands. Right. <laughs> so we go, we cut to commercial break. We come back to the bridge and Kirk is recording his log on a tricorder. <laughs> He's literally sitting there with a full-on tricorder in his hand, and he's recording his log. 
and then he closes it and hands it back to somebody else. He's like, <laughs> thank you, sir. Or thank you. Uh, <laughs> like, what is that? Oh man. The way that Kirk goes on and on about Adams, I'm like picturing a Tristan Adams poster in his dorm room at the Starfleet. It's just like, <laughs> this guy is so cool. Right. Well, then we turn to bones and bones looks like he's doing an RCA commercial. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's on the uh the the view screen All the, other is blue, the, the right? liquid is green and the jumpsuit is red if you're not seeing Seriously. these colors correctly it, it on this beautiful 14 inch rca console <laughs> thank you it, it was good um it, it was very clearly that they were trying to sell tvs with this scene <laughs> someday your doctor will be able to talk to you through your television right and Bones is like, hey, I'm not done experimenting on this guy yet, so can you leave him here? <laughs> <laughs> Which even at this point, even Spock tells him because Kirk is like, well, you want to leave him here anyway. And Spock asks, is like, yeah, that's probably the best idea until you're done investigating. Right. Like, you guys have no idea what's going on here. So maybe, <laughs> I don't know, be cautious. <laughs> so we go to the transporter room. Kirk and Spock walk in and they don't notice anything out of the ordinary. They're in a giant sphere or not spherical conical. No cylindrical room. There we go. I know my (laughs) shit. They're in a giant cylindrical room with a desk and the transporter pads. Somehow they miss the woman in blue standing there. (laughs) They just yada, yada, yada. Keep on having a conversation. And then they look up and they're like, Oh, and there she is. She walks out. It is Dr. Helen Knoll. And Kirk looks like he just swallowed his lunch. It's pretty bad. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Helen Knoll, played by Mariana Hill. Yes. Now, this part was originally written for Grace Lee Whitney. Um, but Ooh. as we talked about the last episode, Grace Lee Whitney was no longer with the show. So Helen becomes the first of a long line of ladies that would serve as Kirk's romantic interests. Um, she started working uh, Mariana Hill. Uh, the actress started working at a pretty early age. She was a student of the Leo Strasberg studio. Uh, she did work on Dobie Gillis and on Hogan's heroes. And she's probably best known for her role as Deanna Corleone, uh, Fredo's wife in the second Godfather movie. Okay. I didn't catch that, that this was Fredo's wife. I totally didn't catch that. And I feel really stupid. I mean, she's, granted, if you see the picture, you wouldn't, she's blonde. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. Picture she doesn't, she doesn't look the same at all. Interesting. The picture I saw, she's screaming at somebody. So maybe that has something to do with it as well. <laughs> That's true. After, after spending a, an away mission with Kirk, I'd be screaming too. <laughs> now, as we mentioned, um, uh, as we've mentioned before, there's a lot of Greek stuff that is thrown around within Star Trek. Um, I do like the little nod to this is a doctor you met at the Christmas party, and her name is Helen, Helen of Troy, Noel. Yeah. yeah it's a little on the nose, right? These guys just, are a little bit. Just <laughs> a little on the nose, Mr. Bar David, but. So this is already kind of an uncomfortable scene to start with because she's clearly in the vamped up version of the ladies uniform. Yes. Um, and Kirk walks in and gets right up in front of her and gets super uncomfortable again, as he explains to Spock that they have a bit of history from the Christmas party. <laughs> now I, when I first watched the scene, cause I watched the scene like three or four times to try to catch everything that's going on. Cause there's a lot. <laughs> um, 
But I, I have to admit, the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that's stupid. Why would they say such a thing? You know, it just it's so creepy and icky and whatever. But the more I thought about it, I was like, you know, on a small ship like this, you're going to have stuff like parties and stuff. Yeah. This is 100% the kind of issues you're going to run into where you got to like, oh, now I have to go on an away mission with someone <laughs> who that date didn't go well with. <laughs> and of course, Spock is like, again, <laughs> it's well, pretty good. So we go down to Tantalus, uh, and uh, he. When we get there, people are like, "Hey, Jim, how's it going?" And he's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> "So they uh, they get in the elevator, they push the button, and everybody like starts dropping really quickly because it's a super fast elevator." And Jim is like immediately just manhandles her. He like attacks he her. Yes. He just grabs her. And, yes. I don't know what he was trying to do. He wasn't being protective. It was like, it was a full on embrace. It was not like, you know, Oh, are you okay? You know, nothing <laughs> like that. It was just like, Holy crap. He is taking her down. Yeah. I don't understand what's going on. Here. Yeah. That was, know. that was a really, because I could see, okay. If a movie trope, I could see her throwing herself into his arms, but that wasn't the case here at all. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I do like that. That uh, as soon as the doors open, everybody's looking in like <laughs> they, they did the fast drop elevator thing. <laughs> oh man, uh, penal colony humor, <laughs> right? So then we see Doctor Adams for the first time. He's played uh, by James Gregory. Oh man! Now we talked about Woodward's IMDb count. Gregory's is 187. The guy just walked away from being a stockbroker to become an actor, and man, did it pay off. Um, it's really hard to say best known for for this guy because, I mean, he was just in everything throughout the 70s. Um, he was A lot of people are going to know him from Barney Miller as as uh, Inspector Luger. That was probably his, you know, his iconic role. I'm always going to remember him as Matt Helm's boss in the Dean Martin Matt Helm movies, which... If you haven't, you must. Okay. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he passed away in 2002 at 90, and he's buried in Sedona, Arizona. No kidding. So true. Now, it is kind of funny that he's well known for being in Barney Miller because he was also uh, with Don Knotts in The Love God. And Don Knotts <gasps> was known for being Barney on <laughs> The Andy Griffith Show in Mayberry, which, which is <laughs> Mary. <laughs> okay, I sorry. totally forgot. Have you seen the love God? Oh God. When I was like 10, oh, that's a movie I actually need to buy on, on DVD. Cause there's so much story behind it as well, but oh, yeah. for another time I'll have to check that out. Um, okay. So anyway, so <laughs> Kirk introduces Helen. He's like, um, Hey everybody, this is Helen. <laughs> okay, great. And he, he looks so uncomfortable about, about introducing her. Um, the, the other thing that was kind of interesting about this is that we just keep on getting into more and more Greek words, just hot and heavy. Like we get it guys. You like Greek stuff. We, oh, oh my God. Anyway, so what is kind of interesting about the, when everybody finally gets out of the way and we can see through the doors, we can see that the elevator stopped at the bar. 
I'm yes. not really sure why the penal colony has a bar, but it does. <laughs> so they they pop right out and he's like, hey, can I get you guys a drink? <laughs> and even I'm sitting there going, you should not drink that. <laughs> I don't bad know what's going on here, but I got a bad feeling here. Now, he's wearing like one of the kind of like blue jumpsuits that you see like crew members uh, wear on the Enterprise, the science crew members. But they have a logo on their uniforms, which I swear, if you were at Catholic Mass in the 70s, the weekly missalette, this design comes directly off of a weekly missalette. Um, not the 70s. I can tell you of a Catholic church in Arizona that has it on there right now. <laughs> nice. uh, it's that, that little white hand with the dove and the, the whole line. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was so weird. Um, it is kind of funny. I, when I was looking up information about the show, I kept coming across that image and it never dawned on me that that was the logo on their shirt. And I, like, it was on the front cover of TV guide. <laughs> it was the entire front cover of TV guide. Um, if you look up scripts, the scripts for the show had different variations of that symbol. Like the, people made a huge deal about that symbol for some reason. Wow. And I was like, it's a total throwaway. In the <laughs> I don't know. It was really strange. <laughs> so anyway, they're, they're in the bar. Jim's like, yeah, see, this is pretty nice, isn't it? I'm tell <laughs> we got off the, we got off the elevator. We had a drink. They put a lay on my neck. This was great. So in walks. Lethe? 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 Um, she's, she's the, the brunette. So she knows what she's doing and is doing a good job by Star Trek rules. Um, <laughs> she walks in and she's like, Hey everybody, I'm Lethe. Um, I love my work. Everything I do here is great. <laughs> and her eyes look dead. <laughs> now, uh, Kirk asks her, Hey, so, you know, what you in for? And they're like, Hey, 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 we don't, we don't really like to talk about that part of the therapy is forgetting about that again greek words uh lethe the the name is derived from a river in greek mythology that causes you to lose your memory yep um, i believe it was also a, in uh, it was featured in hercules and the lost women in that that same river hercules and the lost women yeah it mystery science theater i highly recommend oh it. okay yeah, yeah yeah all right you got me though uh, i'm i'm picking up what you're laying down <laughs> so uh once lethe gets there for some reason now dr adams is like let's do a toast and so he raises his glass <laughs> now can i just say in the social situation i have never been in a social situation where it's totally normal for one person to just be like and now i would like to make a toast for no reason whatsoever and just hold up their glass <laughs> don't get this. And especially that his toast is to all of humanity. <laughs> what? And then he proceeds to tell a little mini speech that he's clearly practiced in front of the mirror over and over and over again. To which I say, if somebody did that, like at a bar with me and my friends, I would laugh them out the bar. However, I would say if two people did it at a New Year's Eve party, it would be hilarious. Okay. I'll think on that one. <laughs> so <laughs> I just want to see what you can come up with. That's fair. Uh, now I do like when they're walking around, uh, uh, walking around seeing all the people. And first of all, the, the, uh, uh, 
a lot of the surroundings look strangely uh, like XO3, where uh, where we found Roger Corby a couple of weeks ago. Hey now, um, hey now. I'm sure that's coincidence. Okay, so this is a different planet altogether. <laughs> Can you see it had a Tantalus sign on it? <laughs> we are Tantalus. <laughs> bump it up. Oh, sorry. But, uh, <laughs> I do, I do like the the bit though of the people walking through and they're all like gazing around. Okay, well, now if you're in a park and there's birds and stuff, but they're all gazing around at the rock cl- cave that they've been walking through for, I mean, as long as they've been in this place. Yeah, I, I, there is something about the the stage directions that are given to extras on this show. It's always just like, hey, what's the most unnatural thing you could possibly do right now? <laughs> I'm going to need you to do that in the background for me. Um, if you could, you know, maybe take a moment and stare directly in the camera too. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. Everyone to the left. I want you to be walking down this hallway and I want you to pretend you're really high. Okay. Right. There we go. All right, everyone in your mind's eye, there are hundred dollar bills hanging off of every rock. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say for a bunch of people living in a cave, they seem overly wondrous of their surroundings. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> so uh, they stopped by the Ray booth. <laughs> the, it's a tiny, it's a tiny room where you shoot rays at people. It's got knobs. That's all we really know is it's a tiny room with knobs. Yes. I, I did like that. It clearly was supposed to have a window in there and there's no glass. It's just like, this room is to protect you, but eh, we we ran out of money. Unlike the view screens on the Enterprise, we clean our glass here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it just occurred to me from a set designer perspective, that's why there's so many transparent displays on all the Enterprises. It's so you don't have to constantly wipe off the clear glass. There we go. Mystery, mystery solved. Oh, man, I want to write to some of these set designers and ask if that's really the case. If they're like, yeah, it's a little trick we do. <laughs> you put some uh, some white paint traces on there and you shine a black light on it. You can't see any fingerprints. Anyway. So, so Kirk is asking, uh, asking uh, Dr. Adams, okay, so what is this thing anyway? And Adams was telling him, ah, yeah, well, you know, we tried it. It didn't really work that well. It, you know, sometimes it works, but it doesn't really work that well. So, you know, but we still keep on trying it because, you know, it might work someday. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really work anyway. Yeah. And when Kirk asks anything about it, Helen Noel just starts to go off. Why would you question him? This is Tristan Adams. Who Seriously? are you? To question Tristan Adams, Captain Kirk. It is weird. Like Kirk has gone from thinking Adams is the best thing ever to immediately like, this guy's a quack. <laughs> and, and Helen is out of nowhere. Just like, listen, everything this guy does is perfect. He is a God and you will listen. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Like, it just, it makes no sense. The, whoever was, or the writers on this were just not getting the temperature of this scene right at all. It was just yes, it it seemed bizarre. It was kind of a it was kind of a challenge of I wasn't sure if Kirk was questioning Adam so much because all the spacey people walking around the caves kind of freaked him out a little bit, or if he was doing it just because he was having a thing with Helen. Um, I'm gonna be the boss. I mean, it's possible that's all it is. It's Kirk. That's kind of his thing. <laughs> 
But then when Kirk does the whole thing, it's like, well, I know he has down here, but I don't have to listen to you because I'm the captain. And then Adams jumps in just like, yeah, that's right. We're men. So uh, uh, it was it was real weird. <laughs> so then we pop back to sickbay and we've got Dr. I keep screwing up his name. Van Gerber. No, Van, Van Gerber. Van Gelder. Thank you. Van Gruber. All right. Sorry. It's funny because I was thinking more Van Wilder. <laughs> nice. So Van Gelder is on the bed and he's like, I'm not crazy. And they're like, yeah, you kind of are. You know? You're really convincing us with that wailing. Right. Um, and I, Spock has been here the whole time. We don't know why. Like, yeah, what is he, he doing? Just seems, yeah, I know. He just seems to be hanging out. I, I mean, don't know. He seemed really fascinated by Van Gelder because, well, he's the one who pulled the pulled the LinkedIn profile to begin with. And it's like, no, he's a doctor. This guy isn't right. just Nimrod. He's a doctor. So Spock is kind of a thing of, I think you're all a bunch of idiots. So I'm going to prove you all wrong, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> I don't know. So Spock is like, you know, uh, what what exactly was it you guys were working on? He's like, uh, I can't say it. Oh, but neural neutralizer. They're like, oh wow, what's that? <laughs> he really perks up like, and that. Yeah, right. He's like, that sounds really cool. What is that? And <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. And uh, and Bones is like, yeah, he's not going to talk anymore. And jabs him with some sleepy juice. <laughs> Holy crud! He really leans into it too. That thing oh, goes yeah. on. It's and I'm going to tell you, um. DeForest Kelly, a hundred percent jab that into Spock. <laughs> Spock, should, Spock got about half of that. <laughs> uh, you figure there's many Westerns as Kelly worked on him and Woodward probably. Uh, yeah. Right. Some sort of dealing. He's getting back. <laughs> so we go back down to Tantalus again and now it's time for exposition. Yeah. So we find out that this little booth that we're looking at is actually <gasps> The neural neutralizer, which turns out is a chair sitting under a weird light in the ceiling, (laughs) which this light in the ceiling, I'm pretty sure it was a pool light. Um, (laughs) It's like one of those like really hard glass fixtures that goes over a pool light. Um, But yeah, and it kind of had a bathroom vent fan look to it. it, it, And it kind of like one of those bathroom, also the sound of it, you know, it's like, oh, well, your bearings are spun in your fan. (laughs) Oh, you remember how hotels used to come with the uh, the tanning light? Kind of looks like one of those. Yeah. There we go. Oh, they left the tanning light on. (laughs) Oh, that explains a lot about Kirk's complexion. (laughs) Anyway. So Helen's like, oh, yeah. Um, they, they, we've got these kind of things on earth. Yeah, we totally do. Um, I don't know anything about it, but they totally have them. <laughs> She's really covering up for not knowing what the heck is going on. Oh yeah. No, no, I totally heard of it before. Right. Um, the guy in the control booth is fantastic. She's like, so explain to me, how does this work? And he's like, I turn it on and I turn it off and this one makes it big and this one makes it small. Like that's all he does. He flips it on and off and turns the knob. <laughs> one thing I it's really so like good. about this device, not only is it simple. I mean, if you, if you can operate the volume and balance on your stereo, you can operate this thing. But I also love the pure aesthetic of having a huge acrylic lighted indicator that shows you when it's off. 
Yeah, the the uh, nothing is wrong alarm, the, the giant light up off. That was fantastic. It's like wow, that's some design there, right? I kept waiting for like the words to slide past the acrylic light, so it'd be like from off to on or from off to high power. And no, the only thing it did was light up and say, "I'm off." <laughs> That's is that so thing good. off? Yeah, the light. You can see the light. Yeah, right? The light's on. Well, that means it's off. mean that it's on? Well, no. No, the light's wait, off. Why would so the light be on? That doesn't make any sense. Is it taking, or is it taking power? Of course not. It's off. <laughs> but the light's on. Well, yeah, but it's off. Okay. <laughs> Who's on first? <laughs> so... <laughs> Adams is like, uh, well, you ask a lot of questions, but mm, okay. Yeah. That is where, that's where Dr. Van Gelder went crazy right there. Things happen. Yeah. And they're like, uh, Van Gelder went in and no one was there to help him. (laughs) Okay. So we all know that, that the acrylic thing says it's off (laughs) unless you're standing there turning the knobs. So how did he get in the chair and turn the knobs? Anyway, so they, uh, they're they just like, okay, that's enough of this. We're out. There's a guy in there too who's getting getting fried while they're having this conversation. Like, He's wearing just- like Seahawks pajamas too, which I thought was weird. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they have terrible taste in football. Anyway, so- <laughs> so put those people under a light. <laughs> So they're, they're sitting there chit-chatting the whole time. This guy's just like staring up at the light like, I don't know my name anymore. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, oh really? Oh. And, and that can lobotomize him. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's doing that right now? Ah, no, no. It doesn't work. Right? <laughs> Why does he look so sweaty and he's writhing like that? Because everybody looks work. sweaty after they've been in this machine. It's weird. <laughs> so then we go to Adam's study. And Kirk's like, hey, uh, hi, Spock. Um, you're on speakerphone. Spock's like, um, could you take me I off? probably shouldn't be. <laughs> Adams is like, oh, I'm going to leave. There's no way that this penal colony would have any listening devices. So you've got absolute <laughs> privacy. And Helen's like, um, what's this? And she's like picking up everything off the shelves and like holding it and staring at it. And then she puts it down and she picks up something else. Ooh, what's this? And then puts it down. They're just like statues. What are you doing? You don't walk into somebody else's house and just start picking up all the crap and like, Ooh, what's that? I imagine Marianna Hill screaming, would somebody please give me a freaking stage direction? Right? Seriously. I've got one job on this show. It's stupid, but it's fine. Okay. So they, she and, and Spock are kind of chit chat or excuse me, not she, uh, Kirk and Spock are kind of chit chatting a little bit. And all of a sudden Helen comes flying over and she's like, that's foolish. (laughs) What? Yeah, I know. She's really gone in for the Tristan Adams Kool-Aid hard. It just out of nowhere kind of. Yeah, no, it's, it is really bizarre. It's, it's like they were trying to go with a, she kind of has a thing for the doctor and believes everything he says, but they never really brought it up. Like maybe there was a scene that they cut or something. Yeah. It it was just so weird that all of a sudden her opinion had gotten that strong. Yes. Yes. Um, now they and, did do a whole lead up about, you know, he's been like the leader. He revolutionized, you know, penal colonies over the last 40 years. So he's supposed to be some sort of huge name. I mean, even like we mentioned, Kirk earlier was just like, he's just so neat and dreamy. Yeah. But like, that doesn't make you all of a sudden just 
stop seeing what's happening in front of you and yes. go, we just saw a lobotomy machine, right? Like that's totally <laughs> what he was just crowing about. And he'd said that one of the doctors accidentally lobotomized himself and that guy's on our ship. I'm like, this is weird, right? Everybody sees that, right? Anyway, so of course, this isn't weird enough. So the Dr. Adams is like, hey, um, it's not going to be till tomorrow till we can really do all that stuff you wanted to do. So why don't you just spend the night? No. <laughs> do not spend the night on the crazy man's prison colony. No. Oh my God. Of all the people involved in the situation, the one person who knows it's a bad idea is Van Gilder, the nutty guy strapped to a bed. That's true. That's true. Everybody else is like, hmm, very interesting. <laughs> Even though everything around them, including a person, is screaming literally, don't go there. Yes, he is violently objecting to the idea. Yeah. So much so that they're about to stab him with another hypo. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't, please don't hypo spray me, please. I'm, I'm actually really lucid right now. And dude, you got to know, Dr. Adams is going to destroy those people. And they're like, well, that's weird. If I hypo him. <laughs> and Spock is like, uh, well, I guess that means I'm acting captain now. <laughs> so there's only one logical choice here. Cause I really don't know where else to take this script. So I need some magic. Let's do a mind melt. <laughs> oh yeah. That's right. It's the first Vulcan mind melt. The now, very first time. It is interesting that the mind. Well, okay. Let's, let's back up just a second here. He, uh, he does push this really hard. Like he's like the only possible way to do this is a mind melt. Even though the rest of his career as playing Spock, he's going, that's really a last resort thing. We don't talk about. <laughs> We're not going to do that. <laughs> and, or, you know, I'm very sorry. I had to use a mind meld on you. It's not cool. No, he's like, Oh yeah, clearly we got to do a mind meld here. <laughs> I was just like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's this thing we don't really talk about, but just oh, buckle your seatbelt, man. This is going to be cool. <laughs> and he starts talking it's not quite a, it's not quite my mind to your mind but it's kind of cool i, I don't know it was yeah, kind of yeah it had his thing right um now according to the making of star trek the mind meld was developed as an alternative for the scripts uh to using a hypnosis so i i'm, I'm kind of right it was a swiss army knife they didn't know what to do next so they were going to go with hypnosis and they were like well that's stupid let's just make up something <laughs> so um, they, they wanted to use hypnosis to stabilize Van Gelder. Um, but they were really worried about, uh, depicting it inaccurately, uh, as a medical technique. Cause one, they don't want people doing it wrong. And two, they don't want people doing it right. So they didn't want to show the actual technique. Um, so they also didn't want to bring up the idea that Spock was maybe an expert in hypnosis, which they totally did anyway, but <laughs> whatever. And, the one that really struck me as odd is that they were really worried about accidentally hypnotizing people at home. Now, when I read that part, it cracked me up because in the scene when Spock puts his hands on Van Gelder, he specifically says, hey, doctor, you're not going to be affected by this. 
only the guy I'm touching as if they were right. making 100% sure none of you are being mind melded in TV land. Okay. <laughs> exactly. They wanted to make absolutely sure that nobody could say that they hypnotized somebody. <laughs> and you know, if you think about it, this whole episode kind of has this thing about, you know, we're, we're in a time when, when extrasensory perception and hypnosis are things that people are really like, it's in the cultural yes. zeitgeist. It's in a lot of TV shows. It's in a lot of movies. People are seriously studying this stuff as hardcore science. And so this is a, a common thing that has, has kept coming up. So it, it's a legitimate concern for these writers. I just thought it was really interesting because it seems so quaint now. Like, oh, yeah, you thought you were going to hypnotize people over TV? <laughs> Come on. But, I mean, if you were just coming up on this idea of hypnosis and you really don't know what kind of effect television has on people because it's such a new media. Yes. Yeah. You know, a hundred percent, I could see that being a serious concern. So I applaud them for coming up with the mind melt. What I don't applaud them for is the fact that he was originally supposed to lay his hands on his tummy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we start with the solar plexus meld and then we work our way up. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, I mean, it was, it, this scene was actually done really well. Uh, this is one of the first, uh, uh, instances where you see the the Vulcan mythology and also um you get to see Spock's face up close and like, like the real serious uh what's the words I'm looking for? Leonard Nimoy shows some of his range here. And this is another example of I mean we're only in the ninth episode of the first season and this is another example of really Leonard building upon the Spock character and the whole Vulcan creating an entire depth to the yeah. character's race. Oh, hundred percent. He's building it out. And I mean, right down to the fact that if you really look, he puts his hands all over this guy's head, like he's trying to thump a melon and it's great, but he kind of settles in on almost what the mind meld turned into in all the different shows, like yeah. where the fingers go on the head and everything. So I thought it was really kind of cool. And it, it really speaks to, you know what? It, we joke about this, but it's a kind of a good idea. <laughs> it's a good tool to have in the box. You know? <laughs> anyway, so um, we go back to Tantalus. Kirk walks into Noel's room and she's like, hey, welcome to my room. And he's like, no, that's not okay. He's <laughs> like, really I'm here to be professional. I purposely <laughs> so came to your room in the middle of the night to show you how professional I am. Right. And <laughs> as they walk out, she's all like, you know, smirky. Why is everybody so smirky in this episode? <laughs> no, everybody is really, really satisfied with themselves. Right. <laughs> except for, well, except for Van Gelder. He's the only guy who doesn't smirk in the show. That's true. I mean, <laughs> mostly because, you know, his brain's melting, but still. <laughs> So we go back to the mind meld and the one thing I didn't like about this is that as they're talking about things, they're, they're both talking back and forth. Like they're having a conversation about what's going on and they keep using our instead of my or I, and I, it just kind of didn't work for me, but I, I get where they were going. It was kind of a neat idea. It just, uh, it was, it, it came off too much. Like, you know, we did this together, not you know, <laughs> you're invading my mind. 
Yeah, it did have a certain creepiness factor to it uh, uh, that I can't quite put my finger on, but yeah. I mean, the, the mind meld is a very intimate thing, right? It's, it's, you're touching someone's face. You're, you know, according to the story, you're in their mind, right? It's a very intimate experience. The way that this one was filmed was almost uncomfortably intimate. Like he, like Nimoy really got in there. Yes. Hey, we're in this together. (laughs) And it was just a little icky. (laughs) The way he moved around. Like he moved from the side to behind him yeah. and then back to the side. Yeah, it was. And it, and the, the, the dialogue too, like the dialogue started off great. It was like, you know, we're, we're putting our minds together. We got to see what's going on here. Let's tell me what you're seeing, blah, blah, blah. And it starts morphing into free form poetry. All of a sudden. <laughs> and you're just like, ah, uh, what happened? <laughs> this, this is not what we were talking about, man. <laughs> I don't know. And then of course the sound guys are like, ah, they're, they're high. And so they start playing music all trippy. Get out the sitar, baby. Oh man. Uh, he basically goes through the whole thing that, you know, it, it, uh, it blinked out our minds. And then he, any thought that he put in there was our thought. And I'm thinking is like, Oh, okay. This is a metaphor for cable news. Well, TV in general, right? <laughs> I mean, and again, this is mid sixties. We legitimately thought that we were controlling people by showing them television. <laughs> and don't you know, hypnotize people by doing it on television. That that's yes. I mean, insert your preferred news channel here. Yes, that's it. <laughs> it kind of is a thing. I don't know. That guy said it. Makes sense to me. That's why right. I believe now. <laughs> Anyway, back on Tantalus. So Kirk is like, you know, um, so I'm pretty sure they're doing something bad with this machine and it's hurting people. So I'm going to try it. (laughs) (laughs) So he hops in and gets in the chair. Okay. Here's the thing. Noel, I want you to cook my brain. (laughs) (laughs) I do love the opening line from the scene because you don't see him. They just show the board and the quote is, was it? I have no, I have no desire to damage my brain. <laughs> it's like such good stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna get that on a t-shirt. I have no desire to damage my brain. So the idea of of machine executed uh, suggestions is like the holy grail of sci-fi psychology, I guess. Um, but she's like, he's like, all right, so let's try this out. And so she turns it up to one, and and she's like you're hungry. And he's like, man, I could really go for a steak right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, seriously, that's the best you guys can come up with. <laughs> I was hoping she was going to start to screw with him. It's like, you like country music. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've heard of this ancient musical artist named Garth Brooks. <laughs> um, and so, her suggestion, the next one, she turns it up a notch and she's like, you remember Christmas? You were really into Christmas. You were really into me at that party. <laughs> and I was like, um, did we really need to do that? But okay. She, yeah, she puts a very elaborate whole scenario into his head. Cause the whole oh, thing yeah. of him carrying her through the hallways into his room and then 
I, I love the thing that she talks about. Well, we just met, so I'm worried about my reputation. <laughs> and, you know, just Jim's like Jim Kirk is like, yeah, don't worry, my reputation will cover all of that. That's not a problem. It's 100 percent true. Now, <laughs> it, it did come off definitely like a piece of fan fiction. It was real icky, um, and it, it it just was yeah, it was gross and it sloppy. Just, yeah, it just seemed like an odd. It was like they wanted to put some some uh, romance in there. Like we it, seriously, like the producers got together and were like, "We're going to lose the women. <laughs> we need romance." It, yeah. it really felt like that. Um, now that said, to Shatner's credit, he did not crush her shoulders and face. <laughs> They had an actual kiss where it looked like both of them were interested in kissing each other. <laughs> Not, I'm going to grab your shoulders and crush you into submission and then kiss you. Which it seems to be all of his other on-screen kisses. <laughs> so Dr. Adams comes in all of a sudden after they're done with their little fantasy. And Kirk's like, I do love her. I really, really do. <laughs> And Dr. Adams comes in and he's like, oh, screw this. And he cranks it up to 11. (laughs) Shatner's like, not to 50. (laughs) Do you get that reference? You're a good nerd. (laughs) Anyway, um, so (laughs) Kirk is like, ah, he he gets his his pained look on his face. And it's so good. I mean, it's it's classic Shatner writhing around in a chair. And look, he's. I'm not going to say he's giving it a hundred percent the way that Woodward was doing, but he's pretty close. This is some, some pretty good stuff. And, and Adams is just doing weird stuff. You know, it's just like, he's got him on control and it's just like, you like Pap Spear, you know, watch Bill Maher, you know, <laughs> just like bizarre stuff. Pepsi he, is the choice of a new generation. <laughs> but here's the thing. And here's, here's my rant. All right. He tells Kirk he turns it up to 11, as you said, and he tells Kirk, you're really in love with Helen. You can't live without Helen. You love Helen so much. And he turns it up even more and says, but now she's gone. And Kirk is screaming in pain. And I'm wondering what Dr. Adams was your end game. Did you think that you were going to get Kirk so infatuated with Helen that they were just going to lock themselves in a room together and he wouldn't have to deal with them anymore. I mean, he could have just said into it, you have to pee. You really have to pee. You have to pee right now. He would have accomplished the exact same thing. Well, no, I, I mean, I, I get the whole, he's trying to establish pain, right? It's, it's emotional pain. He's trying to tell him, you know, she's everything to you. She is, you know, the sun, moon and stars and she's gone. Look how sad you are. Look how (laughs) much that hurts. I, it doesn't explain why he, he has no motive whatsoever. Well, other that's than, the thing. It's like, I like to screw with people. Roger Corby is like, I'm going to build, you know, a race of androids. That's my great plan. Dr. Adams has no great plan. And so far when I actually watch this, I'm looking around and Dr. Adams seems to be the only purpose on ta- person on Tantalus who hasn't been in that little room. So now I'm true. thinking this is not as much a story about, cable news, a metaphor for cable news. It is a metaphor for Medicare fraud because Dr. Adams has a choice. I can either get paid to put this person through therapy for months at a time, which may not have the proper effect, or I could throw them in the room for five minutes. I still get paid the same amount no matter what. And once he did it a couple of times, 
He did it again and he did it again. And now the guy who shows up to be his assistant isn't even there six months. And that guy's in the room now. Yeah. I think you you kind of lost me there on the medical fraud. I, I think he's just, he is, he is lazy. He spent 40 years revolutionizing the criminal system and now he is just mailing it in. You know what? I found a device that does the work in half the time. Well, doesn't have quite the desired results, but we'll just do that. Oh, I have no doubt whatsoever. This started off as I'm a lazy prisoner or prison guard (laughs) that he was just like, if I cook your brain, you sit there and drool in your cage and you don't care. Cool. (laughs) And you're a lot cheaper to take care of. Uh, I don't know. I don't have to give you, you know, rec time in the yard. Everything's great. But the minute he started cooking his buddy and then cooking Kirk, I was like, he became, not right he became addicted to it. It became, it became, yeah. as you said, the Swiss army knife, it became his go-to move. Yeah. But, but move for what? That's the thing That's I don't exactly, get. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Like it's, if it's his go-to move for, Oh, this other guy didn't agree with me. And he told me everything I was doing is wrong. And he was going to report me to Starfleet. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Kirk shows up. Maybe Kirk is going to say something wrong, but if he had just shown up and been like, you know what? Van Gelder cooked himself. Uh, here's the manual. You can go over everything this thing does and you understand what, what happened. <laughs> Kirk would have been like, oh man, that sucks. All right, well, I'm out. But no, instead he's like, hey, let's cook this guy's brain. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> like, it's this, like a, he's got a magnifying glass and a bunch of ants. Like, he, so he is, weird. He is the worst villain ever because this is more about well i just didn't feel like doing any work it wasn't i want to take over the galaxy or you know i want to destroy the federation this is literally i wanted to collect a paycheck and really not do too much exactly (laughs) now we do get to demonstrate something that i think is really cool about the original series versus tng um he's like kirk now that you are under my power you will now remove your phaser and Kirk reaches into his pocket of his trousers <laughs> and pulls out a phaser and drops it on the floor. They don't have trouser pockets on TOS or on TNG. Everybody's got to wear Velcro stuff around their waist because they don't have pockets, which is one of yes, the reasons he- that everybody stands there with their arms crossed or somebody does the full Riker or somebody <laughs> stands at a keyboard because they didn't know what to do with their hands. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. Yeah, because when they first arrive and they first meet um, Dr. Adams, uh, Kirk says, well, here, you can have my phaser. Cause I know I'm supposed to check it in. And Dr. Adams is like, no, 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 I'm a cool psychiatrist. You don't need to do that, man. Just keep right. it out of the way. And you see, Jim put it back. Later. <laughs> you see Jim put his arm and you think, well, if he's keeping it out of sight, he obviously couldn't have Velcroed it back to his hip. So he had to slip it into a pocket, I guess. And I guess we Honestly, do see I think Jim just liked carrying around a type one because he could keep it in his pocket. He didn't have to wear a holster. (laughs) I know if it was me, I would get the smallest phaser possible and I would slide it right in my pocket (laughs) because I don't like to have stuff on my hip. (laughs) And they'll you know, (laughs) so Jim pulls out his communicator also while he's at it and he calls the enterprise and he's like, "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) all I can think is, can you imagine being at work and getting that phone call? You're like, Oh, Jim's calling me. Hey Jim, what's up? (laughs) 
Now, I watched this with my girlfriend and she, I asked her about this because it's like, well, yeah, something's going to happen. And her theory was like, you don't think her hasn't heard at least 5,000 butt dials that end up with Jim Kirk on the other end of screaming. Like every time he does a scream on camera, he's also butt dialing over her at the same time. That's great. And so back in Kirk's room, Helen's trying to shake him out of it. And he's like, uh, um, I, yeah, I remember stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, uh, you're, uh, Tina, <laughs> Jennifer. I don't know. But I love you. <laughs> right. Can't live without you. But he so, says, oh man, the creepy look when he, when he looks at her though, and he's actually looking at the grate. Oh, I know. Oh, right. geez. Right, and you're like, oh, what's he doing? And he's like, yeah, what's look like? over there, there's an air conditioner duct. <laughs> and he walks over, and okay, Shatner's, uh, bo- Shatner's prop acting here is so good. He grabs onto the edge of what is clearly, <laughs> like, uh, it's, a, it's a filter grate, but it's not even a, a heavy-duty filter <laughs> grate. And he grabs onto that sucker, and he pulls and pulls and pulls. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. And he like cranks it a little bit and bends it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it pops open. And you're like, it doesn't look like it was that heavy duty. (laughs) And then he's like, you know, there's the air conditioner duct. This is great. And he's like, I'm too big. You're little. Why don't you do it? And these air conditioner ducts, I mean, the beginning, they're about the size of a small hallway. Right? They're like four feet tall. I could get in there. And he's like, you're small. Get in there. And he's like, oh, and by the way, here's how we're going to do this. See, the air conditioning system is connected to security system, the power system, the plumbing system. (laughs) He's like, all you got to do is just get in there and you can take care of everything. She's like, oh, okay. That sounds great. And he's like, do you have any experience with this? She goes, no. <laughs> and he's like, well, okay. But just to warn you, if you touch the wrong thing, it'll kill you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what, Jim? I know this is not your forte, but I think I need a little more training than that. Thanks. Right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, so they come and get him. And she toddles off into the grate and the bad guys <laughs> come and uh, knock on the door and take Kirk, which Kirk does a little quip as he walks out the door. Time for another treatment, huh? <laughs> and nobody right. notices that there's not a girl in the room. Seriously. Like, how did they not know she went in there? It's a prison. <laughs> You'd think they'd be watching people at the prison. All I can think is one of the guards was like, dude, he totally convinced him that he's in love with her. Would you stay in that room very long if that dude was in love with you? Yeah, okay. That's fair. Fair. <laughs> So then we get to our diehard scene where she's crawling through the ducks and it's, I feel bad for her because it's clearly one of those scenes where it would be better if she was like crawling, Yes, but they've got her doing an army crawl. So she's just pulling with her elbows and dragging her feet. And it looks so unnatural and so <laughs> uncomfortable. Being down to 10 plus five, uh, advice the captain. We'll have some <laughs> <laughs> so then we go back to the torture room uh, and Kirk's sitting in the chair again and and Doc is like, the pain gets worse when you doubt me. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you could be manipulating his memories. You could be, you know, making an alibi, but no. no just going to be a jerk. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just going to be a jerk about it, man. <laughs> I don't know. And it, Of course, he starts bragging again. And it's like, 
bad guys and bragging. That's what's always <laughs> going to get him. He's like, ah, when I did this to the other doctor, he just couldn't handle it either. <laughs> yes. I, I really must compliment you as a torture subject. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they make a Hallmark card for that. That's just a really weird compliment. Right. I don't know. Gee, so much of this. Thanks. You know? <laughs> uh, so Lethe comes in and she's like, Hey, um, the doctor is missing. We don't know what happened to her. And Did I mention like, I left my job? Right. And, and like the look on his face, like, what? <laughs> How do you not know? Again, you work in a prison. You should know where everybody's at. You lobotomize everybody. I'm just telling you, email moves way slower. Right. <laughs> Ugh. So, and the other thing is, is he's just, he's just mean because then he's like, well, I'm mad about this other thing. So I'm going to crank up the thing on Kirk again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he starts asking Kirk, you know, so where's Helen? Where's Helen Kirk? And Kirk, I don't know. He falls back on that trusted strategy. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the ducks. And she finds a way out. And so she pops out of the duct. Now, this duct has the exact same grate on it. And it swings open effortlessly. (laughs) So I'm taking it that the latch is on the inside of the grate, which doesn't make any sense to me for grates on ducts. But maybe she's just really strong. (laughs) Well, you notice when they took it off in in the his quarters. He couldn't do it by himself. She had, she had to help. <laughs> Adams is like, where's the girl? And Kirk's like, I don't know. But wherever she is, she can open the grate. <laughs> He's strong. <laughs> so Helen jumps out of the grate and glances around the room. And she's actually pretty good at this because she finds the main switch right away. Right. And, uh, I'm assuming now, they have some sort of label, you know, on things that if it'll kill you or not, but not this, this place. Who knows? Well, I mean, in all fairness, if you go into an actual power room, it does have signs that say this will kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I you know. still have those as opposed to, oh no, it's your responsibility to remember which thing kills you type right. thing. All the signs in the power room just say you're an engineer, right? Labels, <laughs> labels cost money people. Right. <laughs> So and the bad guys come running in because, of course, if you're looking for somebody who's missing, they're going to be in the power room. <laughs> um, it, it's it's real good, too, because the guys all walk in and you can almost hear them going, hop, 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 hop. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, and they, they swarm into the room looking for her and she hides. Dun, dun, dun. Now we get a, just a weird shot really quick up to the Enterprise where now we find out that Spock is trying to beam down to the planet. Now he yeah. doesn't have any security people in this room. He's just trying to get them to beam to be able to beam down to the planet. Which tells me that Spock is good friends with the first day engineer who couldn't figure <laughs> out how to beam down to the planet. And he's like, I don't get it. Why isn't this working? <laughs> Engineer's like, um, did you know there's force field? Spock's like, ah, oh, God, jeez. So try emergency channel D. I don't know why, but that stuck out when he when he yelled at them to do that. That was right. Like that's gonna I help. believe that's a line from a B fifty two song. Ooh, gross. <laughs> Actually, no, that would be pretty cool. That's not gross. I'm sorry, B fifty twos. I'm 
sorry for it. Anyway. <laughs> so I'm guessing that that because Kirk screaming into his communicator when it done any good because we established earlier that they have a defense screen that doesn't allow them to communicate even without Adam shutting it down. Unless, of course, you scream really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just heard him from the uh, right. with that con thing. You know, if you zoom out for the planet. No, I can hear him up here, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Helen's like hiding from the bad guys uh, in the power room and she's, she sees them walk away and she's like, Oh, I'm going to go to the switch. And she opens up a cage door and there is a giant switch. That's like monkey bars to pull down. Yes. I love that switch. Like I want to run a server room with a switch. (laughs) It's awesome. I want to be like, Oh yeah. How do I turn off this server? Pull. You just grab onto this thing and use your entire body weight to just pull down on it. And it, it might work. Um, so anyway, she gets caught <laughs> immediately. Yeah, but she did shut off the power, which shuts off the power to the ceiling fan in the little room. So Kirk can beat up his captors. Time to fight. Dun, 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 I'm not sure dun, why dun. when the power went off, you run into the little room to begin with, knowing that that guy can beat you up. But, you know. Well, you know. Um, I think Kirk just likes getting in fights. <laughs> yes, I, I would mean, agree with that. Right. Especially when it comes to like professors or diplomats or anybody he thinks that might be smarter than him. He likes to fight them. Exactly. <laughs> so, and it's not even a good fight either. There's, they're not really even throwing punches. This is just one of those, like, you know, I'm going to hold on to you fights. <laughs> Speaking of which, Helen's also in one of those. You know, the guy who captured her is just kind of holding her real tight in a big, weird hug. And she's like, no, I don't like this at all. And so she, and so he, he throws her down and she's, and he goes to like turn the power switch on, which involves doing a push up now. Um, <laughs> and so like, while that was off and they were fighting, Spock totally could have beamed down, but for some reason he couldn't figure that out. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so Helen is like, screw this. And she runs at the guy and pushes him into the power system and fries him. It's so good. So at this point, Alex Kurtzman, where is my Helen Noel spinoff movie? Seriously. Because good I, gravy, everything that this woman did in this episode. Okay. Yeah. She was a little bit nutty as far as the whole scenario and everything, but she ca- crawl, crawls through ducks, hides, shuts off the power system and pushes a guy into a major power source, killing him. This and, lady kicks butt. And shutting down the entire grid in the process. Yes. So it's, it's kind of awesome. I, I'm 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 all on board for a Helen Noel miniseries on Paramount Plus. Please hey, join us. So Spock is like, oh, I guess I can bring him down after all. So he shows up <laughs> and he pushes some random buttons on the wall and is like, um, yeah, I did it. I, t- I turned off the force field, <laughs> which everybody on the ship is like, how'd you beam down? If you turned off the force field, uh, don't ask stupid questions. I claim this land for Spain. <laughs> I really like when he gets down there, he goes over the paddle and sees the padlock on it. And man, he just smashes it with his hand. It's like, okay, somebody was stealing bikes back in Shikar when they were a child. Right? It's like, holy I crud. did like that. He walked over and he hit the thing. And then the prop, there was like a stick of some sort that kept falling down and he's trying to get it to stay up and he had to hit it like four times to get it to just stop falling down. It was pretty good. Now the, um, so, the thing is that Spock though beams directly down into this room. Yes. And this actually plays into something because there was an argument 
about this episode between Justman and Roddenberry, and it specifically had to do with the elevator sequence. Really? Justman said, why would you have that elevator sequence in there? That's just extra money for something that doesn't do anything for us. Kirk can beam down directly to, to Adam's okay. office. I thought the same thing. I, I, when they landed at the top of the elevator and then had to go down in an elevator, I was like, why didn't they just beam to the floor they were going to? So Roddenberry really liked the scene and really, really wanted it. But Justman was like, no, it's going to, it's going to cost us extra money. Cause we're going to need a map painting for the planet, blah, 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 blah. Roddenberry and Justman compromised on it. So Roddenberry got his elevator scene, but no new map painting. So they use the map painting in the, now we watched the restored, but in the original, they use the map painting from the mining complex on uh, where no man could go or where no man had gone before. Oh, with the, uh, with the pill bug yeah. uh, buildings. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, that's so funny. that was just kind of a, that was a weird thing I found at the last minute. So for one reason or another, Spock is like, well, now that I turned that off, nothing nefarious could possibly be going on. So I'm going to turn the power back on, even though this lady just killed a guy to turn the power yeah, off. I have no idea what's going on. I'm, oh, hey, that power switch is off. I'll just turn that back right? on. That's fine. Moral of the story is, if you don't know what the hell's going on, don't turn off switches. <laughs> or turn on switches. For Especially matter. really big ones. Right? <laughs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to Kirk and he's hiding in his room. Not sure why. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he's like, he's sneaking around. I was like, when, first of all, you have a type two phaser all of a sudden, which I'm not sure where he got that. Right. And well, he, I mean, it's, it's Kirk. He's got weapons just squirreled away everywhere. <laughs> and he's sneaking into the room. Just like, dude, who are, you just knocked out the two dudes that were chasing you. What? There's no Ah, alarms going. He's got a slink everywhere. (laughs) But the real reason is he had to be there for when Helen got back. So Helen comes out of the duct for some reason because, you know, she just knocked everybody out and saved the day. But (laughs) she's got to crawl back through a duct. And she gets out and he starts just going at it, kissing her like crazy. And she's like, "Uh, that's great. Um, Can you stop? (laughs) Do you eat tuna fish today? What the heck? Because <laughs> she, she's like, this isn't real. You, Your brain is still all messed up, even more so than usual. No. <laughs> and Spock shows up and he's like, <laughs> what did I walk in on? Again. Yeah. And the G whiz music starts up in the background because, you know, this was a funny, lighthearted scene. Because once again, Spock has to treat women terribly. I don't understand why. Anyway, I'm really hoping that gets better as the as the show goes on. <laughs> Listen, it really does. It really does. Spock turns into a fan favorite and he turns into somebody who is really, you know, caring in his own way and a really great person. But these early episodes, they really leaned into that whole he's a logical devil thing that they were trying to, to, yeah, to yeah. do so much. And I it's it did not work. There was a lot of ickiness involved. Right? Um, for, for whatever reason, the security guys that beam down with Spock are in the background beating people up, (laughs) which right. Who needed to be beat up? I don't get it. And then bones is there for some reason. Why is he there all of a sudden? And so, yeah. Um, then they go into, uh, into the, the, the Ray Zappy booth room, (laughs) the neural neutralizer. That's not and the restroom. They find Adams in the chair 
and they see him roll out of the chair after they turn the knobs and they're like, Oh no, what happened to him? So DeForest Kelly runs over and does a really weird choice. He's got a guy on the floor and he's now as his doctor character, he's supposed to check him out. So he kneels on the floor with one knee on either side of the guy's head, <laughs> so basically shoving the guy's head into his crotch. It's a very weird choice, but whatever. And he checks him out and he's like, uh, he's dead. Okay. And, and Helen's like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't set to kill anybody. And then Jim's like, yes, but he was here alone. Your mind emptied. Can you imagine being here without even a tormentor to keep you company? And she goes, I understand. And I'm like, could you explain it to the rest of us? Maybe. Yeah, no, seriously. It it just made no sense whatsoever. I'm like, what? He he was alone for like two seconds? What? Anyway, so we go back to the bridge. Now, my favorite thing about this bridge scene is Kirk walks in out of the turbo lift and everybody's standing over at a Hurris station. And as he walks in, all you can hear is the plywood floor creaking. (laughs) It's so good. It's just like squeak, 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 squeak. It's so good. It was a little distracting. This just goes to show you, Scotty takes one week off, things go to <laughs> hell. Your, your, bridge, your right? bridge deck is creaking. Nobody has cleaned the view screen in weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knows how to transport. And even the bridge sounds weird. It, okay. So in all fairness, I did read about this. That If you listen at the beginning and the end of the episode, there are two different sounds for what the bridge sounds like. Cause they were playing with the background noises, trying to come up with what is the right background noise. And it's not just the, the little pings and, and dings and everything of all the different sensors and stuff, but also just the underlying hum that's supposed to be there to indicate that the engines are running. Um, and they were playing with it, trying to figure it out and trying to, to choose their favorite. And I think the one that's at the, end of the episode the hum they decided to use it and then in in future episodes they were dialing back the sensor noises the chatter yeah which is my ringtone it did sound real weird (laughs) um so the uh so van gilder is back on the planet they they are chit-chatting about this and like, yeah he's back in charge he's running the prison now (laughs) it's like um did he get better you know what? In all defense, though, Kirk got turned up to 11 and he's back as the captain of the Enterprise. So true. I guess everybody did get better, <laughs> except for Adams or Adams who died of loneliness. <sighs> so they dismantled the chair and did it actually end up in the Daystrom vault? Actually, this chair is going to end up being Garth's throne and whom gods would destroy in a future okay. episode. The prop, yes, but, <laughs> but the the device, the neural neutralizer, did I it end up in the Metallus Daystrom vault? I didn't see it, but that doesn't mean it's not there. All right. Terry Metallus, if you ever listen to this, please tell us, was it in the vault? <laughs> Can All we right. get a catalog? Right. Um, actually, I think, uh, uh, what's his name? Jorge? Niles. Jorge Hild- Hildebrandt. Yeah. I think he actually does have a catalog. I know he, yeah, he hit all the Easter eggs on there because that's where I found a few things I had missed. Nice. Um, and then Bones is like, you know, loneliness is a terrible thing. It can kill people. And Kirk's like, you weren't there, man. You don't understand. 
There is clearly some deep PTSD starting here. Spock can see it. Kirk's like, yeah, whatever. And like grins at him and Spock's like, hey, there's my boy right there. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and and we assume that this was all taken care of by Helen filing a restraining order against Jim Kirk. Oh. So we wouldn't have to worry about that ever again. I mean, thank God there was no HR department back then. And that's the end. It just kind of <laughs> ended with a sputter, to be honest. Um, this is not one of my favorites. It's just okay. Um, it is It is actually one of those episodes that people talk about as being one of the better episodes, which I don't get. Um, whatever. I, I've always enjoyed it, but I like it even more now after doing this because the fact that the bad guy really has no evil plan and is just kind of a jerk doing stuff that, that for me just gave me kind of a special, I was like, you know what? This is a special episode. There's, there's no existential crisis to the galaxy here. There's just a guy who doesn't feel like rehabilitating criminals. That's fair. <laughs> I guess some of our favorite villains are really don't have a point. I mean, look at Q. <laughs> Most of the time that Q was being a jerk, it was just because he was bored. I mean, <laughs> like Khan wanted to rule the universe, but he's a he's kind of an outlier. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We're gonna get these guys who always want to take over the Federation or do this or that, and it's like think smaller. Yeah, right. <laughs> Think about I just don't want to do my job today. <laughs> that's a anyway. villain that I can identify with. That's true. I can 100% get on board with that. <laughs> I don't feel like working today. I'm going to take over the Enterprise. I'm going to erase everybody's minds and tell them I did work today. Hey, there we go. That's what I would do with one of those booths. <laughs> anyway. So next time we're going to talk about a pretty good episode. Oh yes, the Corbomite maneuver. Woo-hoo. It's really good for um, you. For you fans of uh, Clint Howard, it's a special one. Oh man, I do love some Clint Howard. Got to admit, yeah. I, just, I was just watching. I just watched through of uh, Arrested Development, and the amount of times that he pops up in that show. <laughs> oh my goodness! And I just there's something magical about Ron Howard doing a voiceover on a TV show while Clint Howard's on screen. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> Also, why didn't they include him at the, they did all those scenes of being at Ron Howard's house and Clint was never there. Like they were doing a family dinner. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a really odd choice considering he was on the show. (laughs) It's Clint Howard. He was probably working that day. (laughs) That's probably true. That man does work constantly. (laughs) Anyway. um, So yeah, join us next time for the Corbin Mike maneuver where we start the great dynasty that is Clint Howard on. (laughs) I just want to say thanks to the folks over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro. Uh, Please make sure to check them out on their website, fiveyearmission.net. You'll find a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each season. So it's really good stuff. Um, You can find them not on, not only on just their website, but also on Apple music as well as Spotify. Um, yeah, check them out. They're really good. Thank you, guys. And please feel free to stop by and drop us a line. We are No Seatbelts on the Bridge on both Twitter and on Facebook. Yay! You can also yeah. find all of our archived free episodes on www.noseatbeltspod.com. All right, folks. Thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you next time. Adios! 832 2016.